I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at sixsecondstories.com. Special announcement, storytellers, I have launched my first online course. I've been waiting a long time. I've been so excited to do this. It is called Uncover the Story to Launch Your Personal Brand. Now, that last word, that last concept, personal brand, is one that I fought against. I resisted, folks, for a long, long time. And hey, flash forward, guess what? When I leaned into it, when I embraced it, when I cultivated a personal brand, the story that I tell others things started to unlock in whole new ways for me. I was able to build a business just off of who I was as a person. Instead of starting from scratch every time I started a brand new project and then bouncing and spinning around from project to project, the core of my business is me. 
and everything else is extended from that core. So if I want to be Rain Bennett, the podcaster, Rain Bennett, the author, Rain Bennett, the online course instructor, the storytelling coach, the keynote speaker, the filmmaker, they're all coming back to that same core personal brand. This is what I'm helping people do. I started coaching when the pandemic hit because all my speaking gigs stopped and it has impacted my life and I think it's impacted others' lives in such such a magnificent way, an unexpected way for me. Yes, I consulted with businesses and organizations, but I found the most profound impact by helping other people who had thoughts in the back of their head that they could do great things and serve people and make an impact on the world, but they just weren't sure how to access that thing within them. I helped them do that through finding their story. That has been so fulfilling for me, and I want to help you do that too. The thing is, not everybody can afford the over $1,000 of cost in the coaching package to do that. So I created a 14-lesson course that has all of the things and more that those coaching packages have, including a community of other storytellers so that you can share your experiences with and you can learn from them as well. All of this for $149. We will put the link to the course in the show notes. We are hosting the course on thinkific.com. It is called the Rain Bennett Storytelling School, and you can always find out information at rainbennett.com. What's up, storytellers, and welcome back to the Storytelling Lab. My name is Rain Bennett. I will be your host. This is episode 106, 106. We are moving right along with season seven. And this season, we are talking all about tactical advice on how to use your stories to further your businesses, further your brands, really just to live out your purpose and live out your mission, okay? Now, we talk a lot on, on the Storytelling Lab, and we always have about finding your unique intersections. If you know my story, if you listen to the show a lot and you subscribe and review, uh, then you probably know that this was a big part of finding my path forward and how I serve my audiences and specifically how I fit into the overall storytelling space so that all the other expert storytellers I have on the show aren't competitors. They're just people in the space with their own paths and their own unique intersections, which allow them to serve their own unique audiences in their own unique ways. Have I said the word unique enough? I don't think so. But here's the thing. Today, my guest is Jerry Sandusky, and as his Twitter bio will tell you, that is Jerry with a G. Jerry is the voice of the Baltimore Ravens, but he's also, besides when he's not being a sports announcer, he is in charge of the Sandusky Group, which helps leaders communicate their excellence, whether in front of the room, uh, on mainstream media, or nowadays, virtually, in Zoom and, and video presentations. It's all the same thing. Now, he, my friends my compelling storytellers out there, has taken his unique intersections and created a personal brand in a masterful way. His dad, uh, John Sandusky, was a, a coach in the NFL for almost 30 years, which is where Jerry got his affinity for the game. But he also knew that he didn't want to be a coach because he just saw the heartache, the the physical toll it takes on one's body, the mental toll it takes on one's body, especially during the season. And he knew he wanted to be part of the game, but kind of football adjacent, kind of adjacent to the game. So he was a communicator. He understood the power of words and the power of communication between humans at a very early age. So he became a sports announcer. 
Now, he started realizing, and I think he kind of fell into this because people were asking for his input when they would have an interview of how to be on camera, how to be in front of something, and he effectively started media training people is what it's called. Now, I don't think that he knew what it, what it was called or even labeled it as anything. He's like, sure, here's kind of what you do to not look like a buffoon on camera. And he basically created a whole business out of that. He realized, and we talk about this in the conversation today, he realized that you could take all of these things, these lessons that he learned from his father about being a great leader and how to inspire people and connect with people and how stories is a big part of that connection. In fact, that that, that is the connection, that is the conduit to bringing those people together and inspiring them through stories, not data, right? When you think of a great football coach, he's not there telling you the probability of you winning the game, right? He's telling you about a time when he had another team that was down 14 and a half against a team that was supposed to win the, you know, the Super Bowl, whatever, whatever, right? Stories inspire us. We know that. And Jerry knows that. And now he helps other leaders, specifically in business, understand how to communicate and inspire their teams the same way his dad did. I love this stuff so much when it works out like this. You talk about your unique intersections and finding where they all come together to carve your path forward. Folks, this is a master class of it. Jerry was an awesome personality. Clearly, you know, he does it for a living, putting his personality out there. But man, I really vibed with him. We talked for a while and and it's funny when you have someone who's on camera in a host uh, role. Sometimes, think about like a news anchor or something. Sometimes they almost feel, not I don't want to say <laughs> like inhuman or non-human, but there, there, there's this air of professionalism about them and almost almost robotic. I'm, I can't quite find the word that I'm looking for, but you know, they speak in a certain manner, very proper, very professional. And you think it's it's kind of inauthentic or you don't really have that hu- humanity, that human aspect that we all crave. Jerry can navigate that and be, you know, well-spoken, professional on camera, but still finds a way to tap into those emotions that we seek and long for and yearn for as humans. It makes him a very special, special human himself, and, and I'm really glad that I got to share some time with him, and I'm really glad that I got to do it on the show so that you can enjoy it as well. So here's my conversation with Jerry Sandusky, and I hope that you find it helpful. Thinking about the possible segues and the overlaps and intersections with storytelling, I mean, first of all, I see this tribalism, this this community building that we know stories were so powerful and generating. Right. We're all telling ourselves the same stories about the Cowboys. This is going to be our year. We've heard it for decades. Right. Or whatever that 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 is. I also see the you know, I gave a speech last week about the story we tell ourselves. Usually I'm talking about outward marketing, like the stories we tell others. But I was talking about the stories that we tell ourselves. And that's really uh, embedded in this sports fanaticism as well you know we tell ourselves like oh you know if it happens this year then i'll be happy and like you're alluding to we wrap up our potential happiness in their journeys and not our own correct so what happens what happens with a journey rain is that you watch a three-hour game let's say it's a it's a cowboys versus the ravens game and so you watch this three-hour game and you wait until the outcome to decide whether you're going to feel good or not well, a reverse way to do that is to go into the three-hour games and, and say to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say how le- lucky and blessed I am to have this three-hour experience. 
and that no matter what the outcome is, I'm going to focus on that I get this experience. And that's what I do as a broadcaster. I never make predictions because I don't want to broadcast the game I think I'm going to see. Mm. And win or lose, I don't come out of it feeling soul crushed because that's what that's for coaches. My dad was a coach. So if I wanted that path, I would have gone into coaching. Mm. I like to look back on a game, even like a heartbreaking loss for the Ravens against the Raiders on Monday night, the season opening game. I look back and I think, man, I am so fortunate that I got to be in that stadium that was rocking and there's just great energy and it's so entertaining. And, and it was an unbelievable game. I can't control the outcome, but I can always control my focus. Mm -hmm. And the experience, the, the takeaway that you have, you know, one thing that's helped me with that Jerry is, is having kids. I took my daughter yeah. this summer to a Durham bulls game. We live very close to the stadium and you know, I'm not like a huge, we're all Durham Bulls fans, but I'm not, you know, a big minor league baseball, you know, fan or fanatic, but her experience watching the game, granted, it was a little overwhelming at first was about the popcorn and the hot dogs and seeing all oh, the, you know, the, the home run got hit in the bull, you know, snow, smoke came out of his, his nose. It was the experience. Oh, there's Wooly Bull. And she had a blast and I got to see it through her eyes. And that sounds to me kind of like what you're saying, where it's like, if we just let ourselves enjoy the experience, which is totally enjoyable, especially if you love sports, it doesn't have to be rooted in this, you know, how do I view my, myself, like you viewing yourself attached to this thing that you can't control. And, just and, when, and when you, when you take control over the perspective, the other thing that happens is you start to recognize the true power of story. Hmm. part of the reason people love sports is the exact same reason you and I understand the power of story in any game. So let's have the Cowboys. Who do the Cowboys play this week? I don't even know. <laughs> so let's even... take the classic rivalries, Cowboys versus Washington. Yes. Well, now you got to, if you're a Cowboys fan, now you have a good guy versus a bad guy. There's something at stake, maybe first place in the division. There's a conflict. If you're a star player, you need a, you need a guy to, uh, to help assist you to achieve your goal. That's the coaches. Mm -hmm. There are obstacles in the way. You have to come together as a unit, as a team, and you have to learn things you did not know before to stand <laughs> up to the conflict and win the conflict to, to get the stakes. And somewhere along the way, there will be an aha. And that's what makes sports so wonderful. It's why we love regular season more than preseason. It's why we love mm -hmm. postseason more than regular season. The stakes are higher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love those, those, the little lessons, the aha moments learned along the way. Yep. Right. I mean, that is storytelling. That's all of our journeys. That's the athlete. That's also the fan. We know we're learning lessons about ourselves. I mean, your daughter teaches you this wonderful story. Your daughter is as excited about the steam coming out of the bull snout as she is, you know, what, what the pitcher chose to throw at a three, two with two oh, outs. Yeah. yeah, yeah she didn't yeah. care about the tactical part of the game. She cared about the experience, which is really what we love about story. Absolutely. And that's the part that helps us change our perspective, helps us get those lessons learned. I'm curious with your father, how long did he coach? He coached. So he played and coached for 46 years. Wow. Yeah, he played on the Cleveland Browns and the Green Bay Packers in the 50s. He coached in Baltimore starting from 1959, and he finished in Miami in 1995. So I know that you tend to talk a lot about storytelling and presentation skills in terms of, of leadership. Is that is that mm -hmm. accurate? Absolutely. So I'm curious. I have to assume that you learned some valuable lessons 
in that you know capacity in uh, of leadership from your dad who was an NFL coach for that long is that accurate completely I, I you know I had I had this Tell great me. experience rain that I didn't even fully grasp until I was in college and so my freshman year in college I'm watching the you know the NFL games come on the first Sunday of, of, of the football season and at halftime I, I went to the, the the bathroom and I'm looking out the window and I see all these students milling around the quad and I thought what are you doing the game's on and it was the first time in my life I ever thought, ever realized that everybody's life did not revolve around the NFL because I had been born into that. Yeah. And I, I grew up around guys like Johnny Unitas and Don Shula and, and you know, all the greats, all of these Hall of Famers. And my dad, John Sandusky, and as a, as a kid, I was a ball boy on the sideline. I was in the locker room. I was in the training room. I helped clean up the place. So I was always, I was always that invisible fly on the wall. And I saw the power of leadership. I saw the ability to get a group of young men to do a certain thing in a certain way at a certain time for the collective good. And I saw the power. It's more than just knowledge. It's one thing that the coach knows everything. Yeah. You, you got to bridge that gap. You got to create that emotional connection that guys buy into what you're selling. Whether you're selling you know, widgets from the stage or a game plan to a 23-year-old who has to go block a Pro Bowl defensive end, it's all sales. And it's all emotional connection. And once you have that emotional connection, then they'll follow you to whatever intellectual influence you need to exercise. Hmm. That's one of the biggest things I learned being a kid in the NFL. You're so right. I mean, it's it's 100% not about just the knowledge that they impart on, on the kids or on the men on the team. And it reminds me, and I don't, I, I promise you won't keep bringing this back to the Cowboys, but it reminds me of Jimmy Johnson, why he was so successful in the nineties was he, he studied psychology. You know, he understood how to, how to motivate people. Sometimes he may have used it, uh, uh, um, you know, and maybe not the uh, most, I don't know, more moral ethical way. Like he used it against people, but he was known for, meaning like mind tricks and things like that, but he was known for inspiring them and understanding how people's brains work. And it's not just about, his, you know, knowing the X's and O's and how to, you know, how to uh, call great plays and, and understand certain types of defenses and things like that. To me, that's always the, the exciting part. What I love about teaching and coaching, and I do it any opportunity that I have in, in sports, uh, in filmmaking, in storytelling is, is really that motivational factor, getting people to understand a common goal or an individual goal and like how to go after it. And I think all of that comes down to stories and also, you know, is going to be seen probably in when we're talking today about your work with people and their presenting skills and that sort of thing. It's the same type of thing. Connecting with people on an emotional level, I feel like is, is the same thing. And I think great coaches can do that. Yeah, I, ca I call the, uh, the emotional connection, the, the super highway. Mm. And, and if you, and if you can open up that super highway, then and only then do you have leverage to whatever it is that you know that you're trying to share with somebody else. And, you know, in presentations and in coaching and sports, I see this all the time. You show up, you have all this knowledge, you have all this data, and you want to data dump it on somebody else. But if you don't create that emotional connection, that data dump just flies by people and they tune you out mm -hmm. because you miss that emotional connection. You see this all the time from, you know, from a, a game on Sunday to a Hall of Fame speech to somebody who worked under a mentor in business. People will say, you know, the, the, they just felt so connected. They would run through a wall for that leader. And they really mean that. And that's not because they think intellectually, if I run through that wall, good things will happen. What they mean is that I have such faith, such trust, such, such emotional connection to that leader 
that I am willing to follow where they want to lead me. And that's most people I find in my experience in business and football and basketball, they get it backwards. They try to convince you how smart they are and think that's what's going to connect you to their heart. It does not work that way. You've got to connect with people. You've got to, they've got to believe that, that you, you understand them. When you do that, click, it opens the gateway. It opens the emotional superhighway. Now they'll listen to what you have to say. You know what I love about this metaphor, the, the emotional superhighway is, it, to me, that reads is like, when you have a superhighway, you're able to travel like unbothered, right? You have that direct connection. You're able to open it up a little bit versus, and you mentioned these, you know, data points and things like that. That makes me think of driving through the city, stoplight, stopping, traffic jam, stopping, starting. When, you know, if you think about people trying to process information, if you keep throwing those data points at them, I feel like that's that metaphor works. That's how they're going to be. It's hard and clunky and it doesn't allow things to flow. But right. if you lead with that emotional connection, you know, that that's a, you got a free flowing path there to their heart. I love that. And from a leadership perspective, think about a time when you're driving on a highway. And it's just you and the person who's following you and you're in the left lane. You're doing 80 miles an hour. There's no traffic. It's so easy mm -hmm. to both lead and follow. Mm -hmm. But once you get in the city and there's stop signs, there's construction, there's stoplights, people get lost all the time. That's good. I really like that metaphor. Listen, so. I'm not sure if your dad had pre preconceived notions of what you might end up doing, but I know when, when fathers do a certain thing for a long time, they may or may not have that. And it tends to go one of two ways. Either the, the child will follow in the footsteps or kind of go the other way. You've got of got this interesting like balance, you know, you're still in the space, you're still in the industry, but in a completely different role. So my, so I'm wondering, can you remember a moment? Do you remember the story of when when that light bulb went off? Did you did you always go on this path for broadcasting? Did you ever think about coaching? Did you go somewhere off and then come back to the game? How did you end up doing what you do? So the journey for me was I remember as a you know an adolescent seeing my dad and seeing the cycle of what his week was in, in football season. You know, Sunday's the game. And if they win the game and you went home and there was a, like a small party at the house, you didn't have to worry about doing your homework. Everything was good. <laughs> and, you know, you wouldn't see him much on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. He was busy at work. He'd come home late at night and, and he'd be in a fairly good mood. By Thursday, he was getting tense again for the next week. You laid out on Friday. You went to practice with him on Saturday and Sunday. The cycle started all over again. Well, as, you know, as I, as I got through high school and into college and started thinking about what I wanted to do in life, I, was, I just I just didn't want to be on that gerbil wheel. I did not want. I didn't want the outcome of other events to dictate how I felt about myself and, and the pressure it put on my family. So what, what really stuck with me as I, as I was thinking about, okay, what are some things that I really enjoyed along the way? I remember this time when my dad was an assistant coach in Philadelphia, and it was the probably early, early 70s. And he was doing a pregame interview up in the broadcast booth, and it was um, Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire were the, were the broadcasters. And I, I remember walking up there with them. It was, it was after a Saturday practice, or he was going to tape that with him for the Sunday game. And man, I saw the lights and the view, and, and I saw all these people working together. And, and I, just, I just felt like this is much more my skill set. I, I was a good athlete. I played, I played Division I college football and basketball as a backup. No, no real great success. But I knew it's like from an early age that that was my arena, that I could take all of the lessons that I had learned from leadership and teamwork and communications – and then I could shine in that arena instead of just being a backup in the athletic arena. And when did you, when did you realize that that skill set 
could translate to what you do now when you're working with leaders, with entrepreneurs, with CEOs, and teaching people how to use those communication skills for their presentations, for their teams, and all that sort of thing. Were you just uh, doing broadcasting? And then when did that little epiphany happen? Like most of the journey in life, it was purely by accident. A friend of mine who ran the marketing department for a local hospital, they were going to put some of their doctors on the air. They had bought some time at a local station and they were going to have their doctors go on the air. And then <laughs> like a week or two out, the doctors came to her and said, hey, we don't know what we're doing. We don't want to look stupid. Yeah, so she yeah. called me and said, could you media coach our doctors? Well, you know, I'd worked in the media for several years at that point. I said, I, don't, I guess I really don't know. She was just give it a shot. So I kind of figured it out, picked through it. And, and one thing led to the no another and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm on this regular cycle of coaching doctors to be on the air, thinking I'm just helping a friend when one day one of the doctors gets done and says, man, that was really, really helpful. You know, you have a business here. And I was, what are you talking about? He goes, well, what you just taught me, you can teach any doctor in any hospital and any leader and, and the people I work for, they could use this too. And so I started doing media coaching all around the country. Well, the problem with media coaching is that there's only a tiny percentage of people in an organization that ever have to be in front of a camera for you know, pre-Zoom to do media interviews. But I realized all of a sudden, everybody has to do presentations. And so five, six years into teaching people how to be on the media, I just took those same principles and they're the exact same principles and I applied them to the front of the room. And all of a sudden, the audience that I was coaching expanded exponentially. Well, fast forward to the front edge of the pandemic what I taught people in front of a camera and in front of the room, now we're on Zoom. Yeah. Well, with Zoom, it's really quite simple. You see, you're used to being somebody who's watching television. You've watched television your whole life. Well, on Zoom, now you're on television. <laughs> well, I've spent 35 years on television. I know mm -hmm. the rules of television. Mm -hmm. I know the principles to make this stuff work. So now I expanded it from media coaching to presentation skills, to teaching people how to be on Zoom. So I say from room to Zoom, I can show you how to shine. And it's all principle-based. And here's the great discovery I made along the way. Most leaders get to the point where now they have to do important presentations, important virtual presentations or media interviews. They're scared to death because nobody's ever shown them how to do it. Yep. And they're afraid to fear, or they're afraid to fail. So fear holds them back mm -hmm. and they miss the opportunity to drive on the emotional superhighway. Hmm. So it just kind of all came together over the, over the years. I always tell people like, I can't make you a better chiropractor. I can't make you a better engineer. I can't make you a better vice president, but I can make you far better at communicating your message and exercising influence over the people who follow you. Absolutely. I love, I love when those, all those paths in life just kind of like come together and intersect at that one moment. And if you're able and capable enough to recognize that opportunity and seize it, that is just just a, a good feeling. Uh, this I've got this book that I hand out at at, at um, some of my speeches and workshops. Alan Alda wrote a book called uh, If I Understood You Would I Have This Look on My Face. And for the longest time, so he's a big science nerd. And he actually has a school now for, for helping scientists. It's at Stony Brook University, helping scientists communicate their findings. He's been doing this for decades. Little, you know, did, did we in the public know or anybody watched his shows using improv tactics, right? Teaching them. So same thing with doctors. And I work with a lot of doctors in, in, in my film work. It's really hard for them to communicate to people because they're on this level up here. They're speaking in jargon. They don't, they're not comfortable being in front of a camera. They're comfortable, you know, in the, in the hospital or in the lab, whatever that might be. And it's challenging for them. 
And the scientists that Alan Alda was helping, uh, helping out were having a hard time communicating to lay people, to general public, what they had just uh, found or discovered or, you know, their theories. And I just think that's so cool. And I do an exercise that I took from him on stage. It usually requires a volunteer. And I, I, t- I tend to give that book out. But if you haven't checked that out, it's an easy, quick read, but really good. And also funny because it's Alan Alda. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy, uh, easy, fun read. But I, I will definitely check that out because I love his use of humor. Oh, yeah. And and, the, you know, so, so Alan Alda yourself and, I, and I've all we've all discovered this thing with with scientists and doctors. Part of the reason that I find they struggle with communication is up until the point where they have to make really impactful presentations, mm-hmm. their communication was focused around being right and being mm-hmm. smart. And if you go into a communication outside of medicine, trying to be right and being smart, you're going to miss every single time. That's such a great point. And they have to, because they have to be, you know, they have to kind of defend their stance almost, right? right. They have to be, you know, they're, they're making, they're, they're a, 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 an authority figure, right? We have to right. trust them. And so they have to be secure in their thoughts. And so that makes that type of mindset where, where they have to be right. They have to be the smartest in the room. That's such a, such a great observation. But as we know in life and communication, if you don't go in trying to listen first, you'll fail. I think that's, that's a, an excellent, excellent point. And anybody who tries to be a little too heavy handed leaders, coaches, same, same thing. I think that's a, a really great point. And, the media training, I just think that's such an, an awesome opportunity for you. I mean, the players can use that. Anybody can use that at this point, especially now with, with Zoom. Uh, my, my question for that is, what is, what are some of the common things that business folk, business people get, get wrong when it comes into presentations? As you said, they may not all be on mainstream media, but they all have to present something, whether it's a pitch motivating their team, whatever it might be. What are some of those easy things that you can help them fix that almost everybody gets wrong? The very first thing is to know your brand. Mm -hmm. And by your brand, I don't mean your colors and your logo. (laughs) I mean the four words or phrases people are going to say about you when they're done consuming you. I always use Coca-Cola as an example of this. Coke is one of the great global brands. Everybody knows about it. Most people feel good about it. It has that feeling of family, fun, friendship, and love. That's the perception. The reality of Coke is it's carbonated, colored sugar water. It's a pretty simple product, but the brand is global. And that's because Coke understood, as all great brands do, the target perception they're trying to create. Most leaders go into a presentation and they're worried about their PowerPoint slides. What am I going to say? And they're not at all thinking about the end, what Stephen Cover used to call begin with the end in mind. So yeah. what I teach leaders is, look, tonight at dinner, everybody who's at your presentation is going to turn to somebody at their table and say, I saw this guy present today. He was fill in the blank. He was funny. He was insightful. He was somebody who opened my eyes. He was compassionate. He was really engaging. What is the target perception you want people to have of you an hour, a week, a month after they consume your presentation? Mm. once you get clear on that that's your boss because everything is going to either be on target or off target if it's off target you get rid of it and don't do it if it's on target you do more of it and what people find is it reduces their powerpoint slides usually by at least half it opens the gateway to storytelling because invariably people want to be seen as empathic compassionate 
insightful, all things stories convey, and PowerPoint does not. And it helps people understand their presentation from their audience perception. So here, here's the analogy that I like to use. Perception is not reality. Coke's perception is not carbonated colored sugar water. That's a reality. Perception is the doorway. Reality is the room. If you want people to come into the room and, and discover that you are a great scientist, that you are a brilliant engineer, that you are a cutting edge businesswoman, that's the reality. Well, you've got to bring them through the doorway of perception because if you bring them through the wrong doorway, they'll never wind up in the room. If you come across as somebody who's you know, a nerd wonk, all your energy is up here. And this is a big time problem that leaders have. They're the smartest person in the room. They don't want to look stupid. They get really rigid. And all of a sudden they're like this and their, their tongue gets flat and they're, they're not moving. And all of a sudden they do a 60 minute presentation. Nothing moves, including the audience and everybody's bored. An hour later, I asked people, what did you think of that, that presentation, that presenter? Oh, boring. It just didn't connect with me. It really didn't hate him, but just, you know, didn't resonate with him. How's that for a crappy brand? Meanwhile, the reality is they had some great insights. They were technically savvy. They were a market leader. So you have this communication gap. Mm -hmm. And so leaders will tend to go and put more and more work on the content well, what they need to work on is the perception. Align the perception with the reality when the reality is really strong. And that's where the magic happens. Mm, some gems in there, my friend. How important is it, in your opinion, for a leader to develop a personal brand? Now, you seem to, you know, you could have just done your your job as, as uh, you know, the, are you the voice of the Ravens? Is that correct? That's what they call you could have just had that job you see this opportunity so you seized it but you also as you've said a couple of times i suppose or i assume that that your choice to to build this business was to you know you you have this thing where you don't like something else to control your journey and your path this has come up a couple of times in our conversation already Correct. so i will assume that that's kind of why you did that but you have this strong personal brand that exists outside of the ravens which is your quote unquote day job and you could probably you know, do that job and do that, that type of work alone, but you seem to have this too, meaning, you know, basically saying that you have a strong personal brand and your job. Do you suggest that for leaders that you work with? And if so, why? So I, I think it's crucial because if you don't have a strong personal brand, there's just too much out there in the world, you'll get lost. If you don't have a certain amount of presence, you're just generic. I mean, you're, you know, there's a lot of generic products, but when do you buy generic products? When, when you don't care about the product or you're looking to save money? That is not, to me, the definition of a leader. You want to have a brand that people are willing to spend more money for mm -hmm. because the perception is you're bringing more value. Who are some good examples that you like that are business uh, leaders? You, you touch on one, Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Jimmy Johnson had a great personal brand. and Still does. He, he elevated the Dallas Cowboys brand because they were both winners. He would still be the head coach of the Cowboys if the owner weren't so arrogant and couldn't live with the clash of so many people liking Jerry Jones. I mean, Jimmy Johnson versus Jerry Jones. Mm -hmm. And this is the second point of it. Your personal brand is like an umbrella. It needs to fit under the organizational brand, which is a larger umbrella. When those two don't work, Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones, they have to go separate ways. And that's why you also want to have a strong personal brand, because once you know that 
and then you know the organizational brand, you'll know whether you fit or not. I fit very well in the Ravens because I don't actually work for the Ravens. I do. I, I broadcast the Ravens games, but I'm not a Ravens employee. I'm not a particularly good employee. I'm a really good <laughs> entrepreneur. I'm a really good. Uh, I, I saw this phrase the other day that I really liked. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a Jay-Z line. Yeah. And, and so and so that's kind of how I approach it. So I want to work for organizations who are good with that, which the Ravens are. Yeah, yeah. It would not. It doesn't work for me if I if I have to work for an organization that wants to control every single thing I do. Oh, and that's put me clear. In spreadsheets. <laughs> Not that that's a morally flawed approach, no, but it just no, doesn't no. work for me. No, buddy, I get it. I right? had a couple so, of uh, of jobs that lasted like three months in my, in my yeah. life. Yeah, you know, and I didn't know this as a 22 year old. I know it as a 60 year old, but I, I you know, in, in hindsight, as I look back, I'm not a good employee, but I'm a great coach. I'm a great consultant, and I'm not being arrogant. It's just that's my fit. No, no, I would not, not have been a. I would have been at best. I would have been an average football coach or basketball coach. But I'm much better as a communications coach because that's where my fit is. That's where my brand umbrella fits under larger umbrellas where there's a fit instead of a clash. There's so much we're unpacking here. Really, I want to stay here for a moment because I really love where you're going and what we're talking about right now. Um, But man, just briefly, and I don't want to digress too much, but that point about, you know, I'm not saying that to, I forget what word you use to basically saying you're, you weren't boasting or bragging, say, saying that I'm a good fill in the blank. But often we, 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 people take that claim as that way, but like, shouldn't we all like that moment of clarity and understanding what you are good at, what you're meant to do and what you're not meant to do is so important to understand, to understand your path. I say the same thing. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at, but you know, you still felt the need to kind of say, like, I'm not saying that in a bragging kind of way. And I was like, yeah, no, no, I get it. We all should have that 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 knowledge of like, hey, I am good at this. I'm I'm not so good at that. My wife is is great at being part of a team. You know, I've never I I can do it, but I, I I'm much better at leading and I like working with others. I like helping other people unlock their issues that, you know, unlock some of those doors. So I think that's that's so important. And I don't know why more of us aren't in tune with ourselves to understand those things. We just have these jobs and we do it. And we never ask ourselves, is this the the job I should be doing that fits with my skill set and my passions and my experiences? And that is something that I learned very much growing up in the world of sports. Yeah. You can be a great left tackle in the NFL. It doesn't mean you know how to throw a ball. You can be a terrific running back, but that doesn't mean you're the guy that we're going to bring in when we need somebody to kick a 50 yard field goal. And there's two seconds left in the super bowl. Mm -hmm. Everybody has strengths and the art of coaching is helping people to identify their strengths and then consistently put them in position to use those strengths to help the team, the organization, or the objective. Mm. And whether that that's whether you're with the Dallas Cowboys or the Dallas cleaners, whether you're with, (laughs) with the Baltimore Ravens or with the city of Baltimore, those same principles apply. Let's go back to the personal brand for a moment because two questions popped out of that uh, that uh, answer that you had. One, what do you say to the person who's like, ah, I don't, and I was this person some years back. I, I don't want to do that. Like you feel kind of icky about the the idea of building a personal brand. You're not trying to be an influencer. Or if we're talking about a coach, perhaps I'm too busy. You know, I don't know how to work any of the the tools that you may need to cultivate and grow a personal brand any of those stories that we tell ourselves, 
what do you say to somebody that, that, that who is resistant to the idea of leaning into and growing a personal brand? So typically what I share with them is simply, uh, I have a couple exercises that I'll eventually teach them. But what I say up front is a brand is nothing complicated and you're overthinking. A brand is nothing more than what people think about when they think about you. And they're going to think about you something. So if you're clear on your brand, you'll know at all times, am I on brand or am I off brand? Because they're going to think something about you. And by the way, we live in a politically correct world and that's good, but people still think politically incorrect thoughts. <laughs> so you might as well figure out what is it that I want these people to think about me. If I'm the, if I'm the regional vice president of a candy factory, if I am the if I am the senior manager of a dry cleaning firm, if I am the uh, CEO of an airline, what do I want my people to think about me? What do I want my vendors and suppliers to think about me? What do I want the market to think about me? What do I want the, the entire public that I'm, I might be interfacing with to think about me? And until you're clear on that, your brand will be completely diluted and you won't be able to control it. They'll control the narrative. Once you have a clear vision of what that brand is, you will be off track most of the time, but you'll be able to make micro adjustments. And like you said earlier, like then you can just look at things you do, statements you make as either uh, uh, on target or off target, and you can Correct. adjust those. It's binary at that point. Is this on brand or is it is it not? And I, yeah, I think that's such a good point. Even those people, we've talked a lot about coaches today, so that those are who, who are coming to mind quickly but even the ones that maybe don't work to cultivate that brand they've got they've got a brand out there <laughs> like there is everybody people are telling about them all right so let's flip flip that look at the other side because you had mentioned this great uh line this concept of working you know your brand is your umbrella but if you're working with an organization you've got this larger umbrella which you must fit within so that they're not at conflict i think that's such a good point However, sometimes we see now that people have the ability to quickly and, and, and grow, quickly grow a large personal brand, the potential to do that with social media, we see companies that are now resistant to people that work with them or for them having big personal brands. And I think they may miss any opportunity for leveraging that person's individual personal brand or collaborating with it or, or, or using it somehow and instead view it as a threat. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this before? 100%. So have you. What were we talking about earlier? I was a Cowboys fan. Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. The Jimmy Johnson brand became so associated with the star that Jerry Jones saw that as a threat and ran off Jimmy Johnson. And in doing so, he ran off the coach that had the ability to keep winning Super Bowls. He won one more Super Bowl with Barry Switzer, who just <laughs> won it with Jimmy Johnson's players. You or I could have won the Super Bowl with I Jimmy know. Johnson's players. He had oh, stacked the team. Right. And so that's a great analogy for what you see. Yeah. And here in, in today's day and age, in the digital age, you know, we're way past the agricultural revolution. We're way past the industrial revolution. But so many organizations still lead with the control model of those periods. We're in the digital, we're in the, with the educational revolution. We're in the knowledge revolution. This is about release. And the great leaders understand if you just align brands, you're going to release so much power, whether you're a football organization, whether you're an airline, whether you're a bank, whether you're a law firm, it's going to be, it'll be a mushroom cloud of productivity 
Instead, you have all of these leaders who still run things like it's a 1960s automotive corporation, and they try to squeeze everybody down into Excel spreadsheet boxes, and they try to control everybody and they keep a lid on everybody. And eventually what happens is people just stop trying to let their excellence rise, and they'll just do a side hustle, and they'll do it quietly. Mm -hmm. But what happens is now they're, all of their creative flow and juices, they're just, they're just funneling that someplace else. Mm-hmm. So by yeah, trying to control their people, they actually just squash them. So to me, it's a really interesting time in terms of leadership styles and organizational structure. And I think you're going to see the classic American corporation is in trouble. Mm-hmm. If they keep leading the way they did 20 years ago, they are in big trouble. It's a great point. And, and there's so much opportunity when they, when they lean into the individuals that they have. I just think about it like, you can have a brand and you can have someone who's just a not even public facing employee that worked for that brand, but they have 500,000 followers on TikTok. So in some, you know, by some right, they're a celebrity and their brand is bigger than the company and people don't, they, they, they want to suppress that. They want to control that. Like you said, and not embrace that and say, Hey, how can we work with Sarah to, to, you know, help uplift our brand without compromising hers? Cause she's got her own thing too. I love that idea of like, this is the time of knowledge. This is the time of release. Because when you do that, the opportunities, the doors of opportunity just open up to you. But we we want to, you know, clench our fist and hold something so tightly. And if we're not careful, it'll slip right out. Well, you know, look, you, you've learned this as a parent. I learned this as a parent. How, how old are your children now? One's three and the other is like eight weeks. Right. I, I knew you just had this. So, so with your eight week old, it is all about control. You have to control for your eight week because your eight week old can't control anything by Mm. themselves. But by the time they're three, now you're still trying to create a safe environment, Mm -hmm. but your three-year-old has a little bit more latitude. She has some opportunities. You give her some choices. By the time she's 13, you're still going to set the boundaries. You're still going to set the rules. You're still going to be in charge, but guess what? She's at school for a lot of the day. She's with friends for a lot of the day. You're not right there to literally sit on top of her and tell her yes or no. And by the time she's 23 and she's a senior in college or she's in grad school, you have no control. You only have influence. Mm. And that's the journey we make as parents. And it's the journey we make as leaders. And the danger is if you're trying to control your 23-year-old the way you do your eight-week-old, you're going to have a rebellion on your hands. And you will have missed the opportunity to have a great relationship. I'm furiously writing notes like so many great one-liners today i love the way you um i love the way you view things and explain them with metaphors and and visuals that helps people really understand you probably are a good presenter you know you should think about coaching and consulting um how do you help people how do you help leaders when they're when they're presenting how do you help them understand how to use stories you and i know the power of stories we've talked about it a lot today but for uh, uh, something I also see, just like I don't want to have a personal brand, this limiting belief, you have other people that think that they, they just the facts, they can't, they're not an artist, so they may not be a good storyteller. How do you help that person who's uncomfortable being a presenter understand the power of stories and how to u- utilize them in a leadership role? So in, in my coaching, my seminar, what I'll do is I won't even, I won't even tell them, hey, I'm going to teach you about stories. By the time we get to the point where I'm teaching them about stories, I've actually exposed them to stories. 
and they've absorbed it and they've learned from it. And like you said, you know, they pick up on the metaphor. I call it the link method. You link a story, link something you understand to something new that you don't understand. So you absorb it much faster. Hmm. So once they've had that experience, I stopped the coaching, I stopped the seminar and I asked them, which, which part of our time together so far has been most impactful to you? And invariably, we'll go back to, it's the stories. Yes. I said, so how would you like to learn how to tell stories since you realize that's way more powerful than PowerPoint or data dumping? And, and, I, and what I focus on is, look, the, your PowerPoint has value. Your words have value. Your data has value. I'm not asking you to be a stand-up comedian. I'm not asking you to get up and tell stories just because it's a funny story. I have the story that I share. It's called the Binky Baloney story. And if you don't mind, I'll, sh I'll share it with you and, and I'll show how I use it in coaching. So I teach them how to build their outline and, and I teach them all the things that they think they're going to learn in a presentation. So you have your key points, your sub points, it's all framed up. It's kind of like the framework for, for a house. I said, now, when I was a kid, I had a big family. How many of you, show of hands, grew up in big families? Usually it's a sprinkling of people. I said, well, you know, my dad was a football coach. I'm the last of five kids. So it meant my mom really ran the household because he was either busy or his mind was off to the next game. And back then, nobody had peanut allergies or, or gluten intolerance. Back then, you had bacon and eggs for breakfast. And if you didn't like bacon and eggs, you didn't eat breakfast. And while my mom gave us breakfast, she turned over to the, the kitchen counter and made an assembly line of lunches, bologna and cheese on white bread. And your only input was mayo or mustard when she called your name. When she got done making the, the lunches, she would turn her attention to our little dog. It's a little rescue dog named Binky. A little white dog had a brown spot on her eye and a brown spot on her back. And my mom would square off and Binky knew what was coming. She had to give her her heartworm medicine. Binky, who was this really sweet little dog, would sit back in her haunches and growl and snap. My mom would be in tears and just forcing this medicine down her throat. And it was like the, the showdown at the OK Corral every day after she got lunches made. But one day while my mom's making lunch, a piece of bologna falls off the counter, thwack, hits the linoleum floor in the kitchen. Binky materializes out of nowhere, gobbles up the bologna and runs away. And I looked at my mom and I could see the look in her eyes. The light bulb had gone off. And from that day forward, as she was making lunch every day, she would take a sixth piece of bologna, wrap it around the heartworm medicine, drop it loudly on the linoleum floor, and for the rest of Binky's life, that dog took her medicine without ever knowing it. Stories are the baloney we wrap around our key points and sub points, and our audience takes them every single time. Once I've done that, the sale is over and they get it. And here's what makes it work. People think stories are something you've got to be Steven Spielberg to come up with. Look, I didn't tell you a story about being a 60-year-old broadcaster in an NFL play-by-play -play booth because that's hard to relate to. That's a unique thing. I didn't tell you a story about being a, you know, an F-16 pilot flying over Iraq because how could I relate to that? I told you a story that involved a mom, a dog, a kitchen, and baloney. Four things everybody's had some experience with. That's the emotional superhighway. Now that we've connected, now I can teach you the particulars of building a story. But if I just open up with a PowerPoint slide, here's the eight steps to building an effective story, boop, 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 everybody will check out and say, oh, that didn't connect. That's the power of story. Well, the number one rule, as far as I know it, in storytelling is to show, not to tell. And I think you just did a masterful job of doing that, my friend. So 
I'm going to stop the conversation right there because that is just the perfect place to end. Uh, I love that. And for those listening, I hope that you picked up on a few, uh, few more than a few things that Jerry did there that was that was masterful storytelling. We'll talk about them at a later date, but that was just such a great story. I'm not going to do any justice by trying to add anything to it. That was perfect. And I appreciate you making some time for us, Jerry. Great to visit with you, buddy. Absolutely. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.